everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Venus and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Again, always nice to have my co-host and Hall of Famer on with me, Steve Flink. We got a heck of a lot to talk about um, on this episode. A lot of good tennis. Um, one house uh, housekeeping item before we get rolling. Again, I know some people like to watch these episodes on YouTube. We upload about 90, 95% to them, but we do not upload every single episode. So make sure you're subscribing to the audio only versions available on all uh, major podcast platforms. Again, it's courtside with Beelins and Tennis and, and rate us, give us a good review and all that good stuff. So with that out of the way, uh, Steve, I was texting my friend and also you during the week, I think outside of the slams and maybe obviously some Masters 1000 events this week. Could be one of the most fun weeks of the year with all the different tournaments and all the good fields in those tournaments. Yeah, it was it was spectacular, and it it it, it had it was gripping day after day after day, and obviously Tennis Channel showed a lot of it, and going back and forth between the men and the women, and between Dubai for the men and Acapulco for the men, it was really a very enjoyable week. Not many like it over the course of the year. I agree with you on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, um, you know, before we get going with, with the stuff of this week and we'll timestamp this, it's about Saturday afternoon. So we'll still have the Acapulco final. Uh, we won't know who won that final, but we'll, we'll talk until that point. Um, Carlos Alcaraz, I want to start with him real briefly because he won Rio the previous week. I think outside of Novak, and again, if Novak is able to play the French, I think he may be the biggest threat to Rafa at the French. Um, we all know that Carlos can play on all surfaces. We saw what Carlos did at uh, this past U.S. Open, beating Stefano Tsitsipas 7-6 in the fifth in that amazing match. Um, again, I, I I don't know if we want to temper expectations a little bit with Carlos, but he's already so good. He's now top 20 in the world. Um, he's just uh, he's just very, very good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was... I felt, I think in one of our discussions at the end of last year, I was predicting top 10 for him this year. I don't have any doubt about that now because to go from where he is at 20, yes, you have to keep sustaining those excellent standards, but he's just so, he's so confident right now. He's so good on all the surfaces. And you make a good point about Roland Garros because uh, he, he wouldn't, he'd be one of those guys going out there. And, and at that point, he, he would not be in awe of Rafa as great as Rafa has been at the start of this year still he'd take it as a challenge that he would find enticing. No, I think it was a terrific win. Interesting thing about that title that he won, he was playing Berrettini and they've had so many good matches now and he lost to him in that heartbreaker at the Australian. But they had, he, it, the match seemed to be getting away from him and it's, it happened so often, David. You know, the rain came after Berrettini had taken the second set and had the momentum and then Alcaraz was able to regain the ascendancy in the third and take control. That that played like a veteran in the third, but I had the feeling it might be getting away from him the way Berrettini was playing in the second. The rain break was the best thing that happened to him all week long. I know most of the listeners have seen Carlos play, but for those that, that may have not seen him play yet, uh, make sure you do because he's so entertaining to watch. He plays so hard. Um, no nonsense about him. There's very, there's no gamesmanship about him. Um, he's just a, a, a stud and I know everyone will enjoy uh, watching Carlos play. I, I, I do want to give a shout out, and this is connected to Acapulco a little bit. Shout out to, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of college tennis, TCU. They won the national ITA indoors and Cam Norrie, who is an alum of TCU, he is now one Del Rey. 
He's now, uh, he just beat Tsitsipas in Acapulco. He's going to play Rafa in the final there. You remember last fall when they had Indian Wells because of the schedule change, he won that big title in Indian Wells. Um, he's been playing great. I know he played court in the first round of the Australia. It was a, it was a tough matchup for either one. It was one-sided. We were, I think every tennis fan was su- surprised at how one-sided that score was. Not the quarter one, but just how one-sided the score was. But um, Cam Norrie is on such a roll right now. And his backhand reminds me, his two-handed backhand reminds me so much of Jimmy Connors' two-handed backhand. Flat, and it like skids even. There's a tiny bit of underspin even in it. It skids low on the court. Um, reminds me so much of Jimmy's backhand. It's interesting. I, I, yeah, I hadn't even thought of it till you brought it up. I, Jimmy, I was more inclined to really lace, you know, lace into the two hander and, and hit it big and hard. Not that Cam doesn't. What impresses me more about his backhand is just it's, it, it doesn't break down. Not that Jimmy's did. But what I love about his is just the discipline, the consistency, as you say, keeping the ball very low, keeping it very deep. He's impenetrable on that side. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that he's ignited his season now. That was a tough start to the, to, this, to the year for him after winning Indian Wells last year, as you mentioned. But now he's really rolling. And win or lose against Rafa, he's had a terrific two weeks in Delray and now, and now here in Acapulco. He is. And I mean, if you're going to beat him, you're going to really have to beat him because he does not give you much. Again, it was a rough start in Australia, but um, he's just a tough, tough, tough competitor. And again, if you're going to beat him, you're going to really have to kind of go through him because he's not going to give you much. So we'll see what happens in the final there. Um, Let's continue on with Acapulco. And there's so much to talk about. I think we can start with a Stefan Kozlov, who also had a pretty good run in Delray. Um, for those that don't know much about Stefan, Kozlov was one of the best juniors in in the world. Um, he had a great, great junior career. He made the finals of the USTA Nationals in 2015. TFO beat him in, in five sets. Take a look at that 2015 draw. I think the semis were, what was it, Tommy Paul, Fritz, uh, Tiafo, and, and Kozlov. And you, you know, Opelka's in there. There's a lot of names that you'll know. Um that was a great, great uh, year for, for American tennis in 2015. But Kozlov had that crazy day when he, when he played uh, Grigor Dimitrov. Didn't think he was in the tournament to begin with. He went out jet skiing for a while. I guess he had some trouble. He needed some help getting him out of the water. He then has a practice session with Rafa. Again, not thinking he's going to play. Anytime you hit with Rafa is going to be 110%. He said it was a practice set. It was 3-3, and, and Rafa popped a string or something like that. Stefan just randomly went to check his phone. He had 30 messages from the tournament director and some others saying, Hey, you're in the tournament. Um, with that, he plays a crazy match with Grigor and wins full body cramps. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know how he got out of it because he was cramping. And I remember the, the commentators felt that if he didn't close out that second set, there was no way he was going to win. And yet he did hang in there and he's, he's very deceptive back there. He looks almost as if, he looks almost as if he's having a casual Sunday afternoon practice at times. It doesn't seem to be bending, but it's very misleading because he's, he's, he's such a smart player. And, and uh, in the end, uh, Grigor did self-destruct a little bit, but it was still a great win for Kozlov and, and one of the highlights of, of, of a terrific week. Yeah, it was. And it's, it's like you said, it, it's deceiving. You know, he'll, he can lull you to sleep. 
and think like it's just a more of a casual hit, kind of pushing, not giving you a lot of pace. Then the next point, or even midpoint, he'll blast the ball. Like he has yeah. power. So it's just very yeah. tricky to play. I think for the recreational fans, they all know someone, whether you call the person a pusher or someone who's very who has a ton of variety. He's frustrating to play. Um, he's had an up and down career uh, as a professional, but he's put together a couple good weeks now. So we'll we'll see if he can keep up that momentum. Um, also, hard, hard dealing with that for the opponents to adjust to that serve, David, which can be one of the slowest in the sport. So again, you you feel like you want to tee off and hit winners off it, but somehow he 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 puts it in awkward spots and 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 gets keeps himself out of trouble despite that. I I hope in the years to come he'll he'll beef it up and make that serve into more of a weapon consistently. That would help him. But he's a fascinating player to watch. You know, pretty much an anomaly in this sport. He is. Yeah, I mean, he could he can go with a hundred mile an hour second serve, and then the next one could be sixty five miles an hour. It's like the changeup. It's like the changeup yeah. pitcher in baseball. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see him uh, moving forward during the year. I think we that we we have to move on now to just talk to Rafa because um, Kozlov played Rafa the next match. Rafa blitzed him in the first set a little bit tougher in the second set, and then Rafa played Tommy Paul blitzed Tommy in the first set. Um, when I say blitz, he won 6-0 in first sets against both Kozlov and Tommy Paul. Tommy was up 5-3 in the second set. Don't think he had set uh, set any set points. No, no um, he didn't. Very strange, David. Not only was he up 5-3, three times he was up a break. <laughs> Rafa lost his serve times in that set. How often do you see a player of his caliber at his level find a way to win a set where they've been broken three times? He did. Even after he broke back and made it five all, he still had to save break points. Rafa did to to hold on for six five, and he eventually survived at seven five in the breaker. That was a nice effort, some some kind of a a big boost, I think, for Tommy, having not been able to get untracked in the first set and wasting a few opportunities to win games to make it that tight in the second. At least he came away with some encouragement. But Rafa, when you know when the chips were down there late in the second, he just was not going to allow a third set and he, he came through in the clutch. Yeah. And, and then the rematch happens, right? Then he faced the Neil Medvedev and there was so much hype and excitement to watch that match. Again, the Australian open finals rematch, Rafa won miraculously down two sets to love to win his 21st slam. They played again. I put a poll out on Twitter, just what I was reading. I thought it would be interesting. You know, this is two out of three sets, obviously a very different dynamic when you play the, the, the big three and two out of three versus three out of five. People were favoring Daniil, at least in my poll and what else I was say, um, seeing. What was interesting to me when you when that match started, Rafa was so sharp out of the gate at the opposite of what happened in Australia. Rafa was really slow coming out of the gate in Australia. I think Rafa probably knew that this is a, more of a sprint than a marathon, and he had to come out sharp, which he did. I also thought the humidity, um, Daniil did not, do well with that humidity early in the match. I was hoping and, and gladly I was right. He would sink his teeth in the match in the second set, which he did. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on, on, on how the match, and then yeah. we'll, again, we'll talk more detail about the second set. Yeah, sure. Good assessment. I did feel, I didn't go along with your, the, the people in your poll. I, I was wrong in Australia. I was, I was convinced going into that match, Medvedev would win. And it was a, it was a remarkable come back from Rafa from two sets to love down and then two, three love 40 and in, in the third. 
This time I was convinced he'd come out of the gates arrestingly and be really ready to play. And also, I think I could just sense he, he had a certain confidence about this one, that it was such a boost to win that match that he loved the idea of trying to see if he could replicate it uh, last night as we speak. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Medvedev was Medvedev was really struggling in that first set. He wasn't putting enough returns back into play. In fact, he didn't have a break point the whole first set. And uh, Rafa was holding comfortably, and except for one love 30 game at, at 3-1, and he pulled out of that one very nicely. But no break points against him, and he breaks Daniel and threatened him almost every time he served. And Daniel just didn't look comfortable from the baseline, David, and he didn't. So I felt like he was trying even more than he did in Australia to hit through him, try to beat Rafa with some pace, maybe. And, and it wasn't working. Rafa was defending so beautifully, used his slice backhand very effectively. And then he, he would up the tempo on the rally and start driving the ball deep. And he had Daniel con confounded. And then, of course, we get to that second set, as you just described. That's when it became a whole different match. If somebody were to look at this score, David, on paper and see a three and three, they'd they, it, it looks so routine, but the second set was anything but routine because we saw those two just, uh, just astonishing games is the only way I can put it. Rafa had the early break in the second. He's serving at 2-1, 40-15. It turns into a 6-deuce game. He, set, he fights off four break points. And how does he do it? One of them with an ace. Two of them with inside-out forehands that there was no way Daniel could handle. And the last one with a beautiful move into the net, and he puts away a forehand volley. Nothing Daniel could have done. And finally, after the six deuces, Rafa holds. But two games later, similar bind, even worse. This time, nine deuces. This time, seven break points. Daniel made one error, David. One error on a backhand cross-court by inches that he didn't hit too badly. We'll call that unforced. That's the only one that he gave away. The other ten... We're all Rafa. He served in volley twice in the in this 3-2 game, and they both worked. He had three beautiful drop shots that all worked. And he uh, another beautiful finesse volley off the his back end. Some of those was, volleys were ridiculous. Oh. There were two of them. One was behind the service line. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. shoestrings that he dropped in. I mean, he's a very, very underrated volleyer. He's so, so oh, it, good. That was a stark reminder stark from a daniel standpoint a stark reminder last night of exactly that you're saying is what you're saying is spot on because he's he's hitting them off his shoelaces and his feel is so good and sometimes he'll play like a a, a delicate elegant drop volley sometimes it's just a simple finesse volley near the service line that he keeps so low that there's no way that daniel on the run is going to be able to pass him one time it's just almost impossible so on so basically there were 11, there were 11 break points in the two games. Daniel made one error. The rest was all Rafa. And, and that's why he was so thrilled afterwards that he couldn't believe how well he played those break points. And he said, you know, he made it sound like he thought he could have lost the set. I'm not buying that to tell you the truth because he was up a break. First all game of the second set, he broke him. It was up yeah, from the start of it. Exactly. So the two, the two marathon games that were the most compelling of the match, granted, they could have given Daniel a lift and gotten him, given him the feeling that maybe he could win the set, maybe he could win the match, but it was just to get back on serve. And then when, then what, what was interesting from there, David, was once Rafa goes to 4-2, then he has a love hold to go 5-3, yeah. and then Daniel's 40 love in the last game, I know. Rafa take, takes that one away from him. It was not Medvedev's night. But I thought it was a just a brilliant performance from Rafa. Maybe maybe his best match of the year, 
in many respects. And he, and he, uh, he played it tactically so well. And, and, and I just thought the, the combination of giving nothing away, but still being really aggressive and the assortment of forehands, some which is flattening out a bit and hitting deeper, some with the heavy loop, the backhand with the combination of the slice and the drive, the cross court and the down the line. He had everything working at full efficiency last night. Plus he served so much better than he did in, in that second set against Tommy Paul in the quarters. He did. Um, you know, so he plays, he plays Cam Nori. Obviously we talked about Cam briefly before Cam is coming in super hot. He's Rafa's three and oh against him. He has not lost a set uh, against yeah. Cam. We, again, and we're recording this before the final. So we, we, we don't know the outcome, but um, regardless of what happens with Rafa, you know, I, I wanted to throw this out your way, Steve, you know, many of the best in any sport, the, the greatest in any sport, they often say they hate losing more than they enjoy winning. Right. And I'm yeah. not sure that's the case with Rafa. Sure, he he hates losing, right? Who who doesn't, right? But he so genuinely loves winning. And I'm not talking just how ecstatic he is at the end of finals of Grand Slams. I mean, you see him after 500s in in quarters, second round, whatever it is, semifinals. I think it may be the fact that he's dealt with a lot of injuries and he's so grateful that he's still out there competing and playing. Um it's something nice to see where I, I think that statement of the, the greats hate losing more than they enjoy winning. I don't know if that necessarily applies with Rafa. He so loves winning. <laughs> it's a great point. It's a great point. I'll give you an example that, that I think will back up, that it will make you even more convinced that you're right because you are. And I wrote this book in 2012, the greatest tennis matches of all time. The cover was Rafa and Novak from their epic 2012 we had just enough time to get it in to get that match into the book the five hour 53 minute five setter that rafa lost after leading 4-2 30-15 final set against novak so there's novak and rafa on the cover and i gave the book to rafa i didn't get a chance to see him till the 2013 u.s open for a variety of reasons injuries that he's had and so i gave him the book and I'm showing him some things in the book and, and uh, including his match with Roger, which I'd ranked at the time, the number one of all time, the epic 2008 Wimbledon final that he won. And I show him the list, the ranking list of the matches and this and that. And he's looking through it. And, he, and, he, and I said, yeah, Rafa, take a look here. I had, I had your match with Roger at number one. And he said, I know. I, yes, I, I, yes, I see. But then he points to the cover. He says, but this was a great match too. Now he had lost that match. Think about it. I don't. I I could see other players maybe joking and saying something along the lines of, "I wish you, I wish you didn't have to put that one on the cover." Or no, he was looking back on that as a proud moment, as one that he would still cherish despite losing. Yeah. And that proves your point. And I really do believe that that's. Uh, it's not that Novak and Roger are not mag magnanimous, and that they they have that side as well. But nobody to the degree that Rafa does. Somehow he he has this perspective on winning and losing, and he's going to give it all he has. But if he feels like he's played an excellent match in defeat and given it his all and been part of a great occasion, he's okay with that too. And I think that makes him it makes him a standout uh, in his sport. Yeah, and you transitioned well over to to uh, one of the other arguably greatest of all time. And that's Novak Djokovic. And it was nice seeing him back on court in Dubai. Uh, again, you know, all the stuff with the vaccinations, put that aside. Any tennis fan wants to see the best players 
play in the event. So uh, as tennis fans, it was so great to see Novak back. Um, he did lose to Yuri Vesely. Vesely had a great week. Um, I remember talking to you midweek, Steve. Novak didn't necessarily play bad that match. Vesely just played uh, out of this world. Out of his mind. Absolutely out of his mind. Now, keep in mind, I think part of it was that he'd had some real bad luck a year ago. COVID slowed him down a lot. He talked about his problems breathing and practice for a while. He had a car accident that put him out longer. His ranking dipped out of the top 100. Here's a guy, a veteran who'd been in the top 35 or 40. So he qualifies, struggled through the qualifying, but then he beats Chilich, then he beats Bautista Gut. And against Novak, he just was swinging away, David, and enjoying himself. And he had uh, Novak on his heels, and Novak did not play badly. But uh, Jerry won the first set 6-4, broke Novak twice, and then served for the match in the second set. And, and Novak made his move and uh, and broke back. And you would have thought maybe that was the turning point, but Vesley held him off in the tiebreak. I just was amazed how how he just was, how, how aggressive he was and yet unerring at the same time. He's a left-hander. He's a big guy, 6'6". The wingspan was a problem for Novak on serve because a lot of serves that he'd be hitting and that he was hitting in the first couple of rounds against Musetti and Pachinov that would have won him the points. So this guy with the stretch and the reach was making great returns off very good first serves and great on uh, tremendous returns on the second serve. He played a, just a wonderful match. And then what does he do? He goes on and beat Shapovalov after Dennis served for the match in the third and finally lost the final today to a really informed Rublev winning his second title in a row. But to get back to, to Novak, not discouraging. Uh, he got three matches in. He won the first two of Musetti and, and Hatchinoff in straight sets, played to a high level in both, and then didn't play decently. If he'd been at his very best, he might have, he would have fended off uh, Vesely, but he wasn't at his very best yet. He wasn't that far off. I think considering that he'd been gone between two and a half and three months, he probably was not that disappointed with how he played. But the problem, David, of course, is, as he said, he needs matches. Well, he's not going to get them in Indian Wells or Miami because without the vaccine, he can't go. So then the question becomes, when does he return on the clay? And this is something he's really going to have to examine quickly. Because he can't, you can't do it by having these layoffs. Finally coming back to play this tournament and looking pretty sharp under the circumstances, but then to have to take more time off, come back on the clay. Not sure which clay. Monte Carlo probably won't be permitted to play. Maybe Rome. We don't know about the French. It's all so uncertain for him. The only way that he can resolve this, obviously, is to change his mind on the vaccines. I'm wondering whether... Yeah, there'll be a change of heart sometime over the next month, which is a critical decision-making time for Novak Djokovic. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and um, before we leave this topic, I, there was an interesting poll this morning um, on Twitter from Ricky Diamond. He said, who is the best male player right now? You know, is it Novak? Is it Daniil? Or is it Rafa? And I found this fascinating because think about this. Novak beat Rafa on Rafa's best service, at the French Open, right? Daniil beats Novak on Novak's best surface at the U.S. Open, and then Rafa beats Daniil on arguably Daniil's best surface two times in a row in Australia and now in Acapulco. Um, that, that's all interesting. It's kind of weird how that, that worked out. Um, those three guys are obviously the, the, the best playing right now. But, but you um, say, but David, you said yeah, the, the right now, I think those are the key words. Right now. Because it looks like, as you said, we don't know the result yet against Cam Norrie in the final. I like Rafa's chances going in. If Cam pulls off the upset, all power to him. But if he doesn't, 
Rafa will have started his season with three straight titles. The 250 event in Melbourne right before the Australian Open. The Australian Open for the 21st major and now a 500 in Acapulco if he's able to do it. So when you say right now, he certainly is the hottest player in men's tennis as we as we talk at this moment. So I can see why people would look at I mean, they're looking at it in terms of very current form, knowing that Novak has, has not been playing much. Right. No, it was interesting. I just again that that the, that that those three, the mix of those three, they're beating their opponents on arguably their opponent's best surface. It's just kind of kind of kind of interesting to 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 view it at that. Um, but, but David, just a, a quick word, just a quick word about the Nadal Medvedev rivalry. It's really fascinating to think that they met. I saw them play in the summer of 2019 when when uh, Rafa destroyed uh, Daniel in the final of the Masters 1000 up in Canada. Then they had their epic five-setter at the U.S. Open that Rafa won. And then it looked like it might be turning toward Medvedev. He had Rafa 5-1 in the third in London at the end of 19. He wasn't able to finish him off, and Rafa came back and beat him. And then in 2020, in the year-end championships, Rafa uh, was, was serving for the match, but Daniel came back and beat him. That's the only time Daniel has beaten him. And so they had that, what was it, the 2019 U.S. Open final right after the one in Canada. That well, was yeah, an epic final. That's what I'm saying. That was the epic. That was the epic. You know, on the heels of an easy win for Rafa in 2019 in Canada was that he scraped by him in five in New York. So what I'm saying is there's still only one win for Daniel. I mean, mm-hmm. he, it was a golden opportunity in Australia lost. A wonderful comeback from Rafa. But now it makes you wonder that Daniel was joking about trying to get revenge this week. For Australia, he he got anything but revenge. Uh-huh. So now I think he has these doubts. While he's played a lot of good matches against Novak and played him more, and it's gone back and forth in the last couple of years, he's got a dilemma against Nadal at this point. And it's going to be really fascinating to see their next two or three meetings, uh, how much Rafa is in Daniel's head and whether that may be that matchup. He just looked confused. Didn't you think so, David? Yes. He looked confused in that match about how to play him how he could find a hole in Rafa's game what he should do tactically we don't usually see Daniel looking that confused granted he hit some beautiful backhand cross-court drop shots in the second set particularly in, even in those games when he nearly broke he was starting to try and succeed with a, a few different plays but overall he was not uh he wasn't making a dent uh, 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 tactically against Rafa no, I, I would agree. And before you know, we, we do want to talk about the, the women, uh, too, because they had some really, really good tournaments. That Doha field was absolutely loaded. Um, we're going to get there in a minute, but we do have to address and I, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because we're both very positive people. But we do need to talk about the, the Sasha's Varev incident. You know, he plays Jensen Brooksby. I think what was he finished at 445 in the morning or something like that. He then plays doubles. Um, later in the day. And, and again, the listeners are most probably all know he had a huge um, outburst against the ump, totally inappropriate. It was in a third set tiebreaker, um, cursed out the umpire before even the end of the match during that breaker. Um, they had the initial fine out, but there's there, the ATP is still reviewing it and there's going to be um, a harsher penalty than, than was issued. Um, Never good to see anything like that. And the abuse of the umpire, there's, there's no, there's no place in the sport for, for doing that. No. And he's, he didn't just smack that chair once. It was several times. I think it was three and all, maybe four. I don't know the exact count, but I watched it in, in, in utter amazement. 
He gave a great statement afterwards, full of contrition, uh, a genuine apology. However, I think really the best lesson learned would be if he was to not be able to play these next two Masters 1000s in, in Indian Wells in Miami, because that would hurt. Those are tournaments that he can really contend for. They could lead him into the clay court season with confidence. And I think if they said, no, you're not, you're not coming back until the clay, that would that would really make him reflect and and hopefully not, something like this would never happen again because the other players like Murray and Novak and Rafa they all commented and they tend to be very sympathetic and 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 very uh, supportive of each other uh, but they all were very critical of, of Sasha in this case not not in a personal way but they felt like what he'd done was just unacceptable it was way over the line but sad moment for the sport but I hope he'll. I really do believe he'll learn for it, particularly if he gets the suspension that he probably deserves. Yeah, no, we'll see how that irons out. And again, I'll echo what you said. Hopefully we, we don't ever have to see that uh, again. Okay, Doha, that field was unbelievable. If you looked at that draw, there was no easy matches there. And I want to start with, with Coco Goff. We've talked about her quite a bit. And, and you know, she's, she's struggled. And I've said this several times, but not everyone has heard it. So I'll, I'll say it again. You know, she, she burst on the scene in 2019. I thought the COVID year in 2020 stopped her momentum. I know it stopped a lot of people's momentum, right? Hers though, specifically, she was just, you know, exploding on the scene playing so well. I thought 2020 hurt her. Um, she's kind of been up and down since that point, had a much needed win over Paula Badoza, which I did not think she would win. Um, unfortunately she lost the next round, um, to Maria Sakari, no shame in losing to Sakari. Sakari's playing very well, who then lost in her next round. Um, but it was good to see Coco get that, uh, win over such a high level player like Bedosa. It was, you're right. And she couldn't, she couldn't replicate that form against Sakari who played very well against her. But I, you know what, David, I'm not that worried i'm not unduly worried about this i just feel like this she's got so much ability and she's got a great psyche great temperament and i feel that she doesn't let these losses i don't think she sits around in in a morose state of mind saying why am i not doing better and i think over the course of this year we're still going to see some great things from her and the bedosa match was sort of a flash it was a, it was it, it, it was a spark it was a sense of okay look at maybe she'll get going now now she then had to follow up against a first-rate opponent, unable to do so. So she's got to start stringing those matches together more, more convincingly. But I, I'm, I'm convinced it will happen. And that she has, mainly because I like her disposition, I like her outlook, and I think she believes in herself. And she'll, she'll, uh, we're going to see her in the latter stages of some majors this year. I have no doubt about it. Awesome. Yeah. Hope, hope so. She did win the doubles, by the way, with Jesse Pagula. Coco, Gen Coco generally plays doubles with uh, Katie McNally. In this tournament, she teamed up with Jessica Pagula and she won the doubles title uh, in that tournament. So um, always good to, to be the last person or last doubles team standing of any tournament. So good job with that. Guadalajara. <laughs> Guadalajara didn't have the same field, obviously, as Doha, but I feel like these two people are always paired together when we talk and it's because they're one, they're like best friends. And two, they've kind of come on the scene together is Madison keys and Sloan Stevens and Madison keys had such a great start um, to the year. And we're so glad that we're seeing her on the, on the upswing. She had a bad loss in her first round uh, in that tournament 
And yet the other person I want to talk about is Sloane Stevens, right? And Sloane is doing well. She is now in the semis of that tournament. And I always kind of pair those two together. I think again, because they're such great friends and they've kind of, um, they've had their careers kind of together, um, both of them. So I don't know, disappointed to see Madison's loss. We want that consistency from her. Um, but I think she'll bounce back pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm hoping that's a blip on the radar screen. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see too many like that from her this year. And she's she's had a very positive outlook and got off to a great start to the season in Australia. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. And Sloan definitely looks like she's back on the ascendancy based on what we've seen so far this week. But also a tip of the hat to Swiatek, by the way, you know, for winning the winning Doha. I mean, it, it was a, it she uh, destroyed Conovate in the final, and and you see her on her best days. When, if she can catch somebody who is a little bit off, forget it. I mean, they're struggling to win games against her, and and I I, I'm, I like to see her back on the move again too, David, because she's a great player, and that French title she won a few years back is not a not a fluke. And she's in the forefront of the women's game. And I want to see her keep winning tournaments as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, I think when you take a step back and you look at the calendar, the beginning of the year, you don't necessarily circle this weekend as being like, whoa, this is going to be some, some maybe the best, uh, you know, best weeks of the year. Uh, but it certainly was. And it was so fun. And we're in the, you know, the dead of winter here. We got the sunshine double uh, coming up. So we're, we're getting through winter. We got the sunshine double coming up, which is always fun. The Miami Open and Indian Wells. Um, reverse that order, Indian Wells and then Miami. But we'll see a lot of good tennis uh, ahead. We covered a lot of ground today, Steve. Um, great week. Such a fun week. Great week all around. And, you know, so, so many, so many impressive title winners and Cam Norrie having a, a, a second spectacular week in a row and Rafa on the roll and Novak returned and it didn't all go well. On the other hand, he had the nice feeling of performing in front of very appreciative crowds and, and uh, hopefully a, that we're going to see a lot more of him. It was, it was, a, it was a terrific week all around. I, I, I my eyes are, I, I like yours are tired right now because uh, it's a lot of hours of watching tennis, but you can you find yourself so drawn in by uh, in weeks like this, when there's so many top players performing in different parts of the world. Yeah. And it just shows you the depth, by the way, in both the men's and women's games, that they can have a couple of events like that simultaneously. And, and, and there's, uh, there's, there's no shortage of, of uh, compelling developments. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, just a, a fun, amazing week, Steve. We'll wrap it up there. Looking forward to talking to you uh, very soon again. This is uh, we're in the midst of the tennis season right now. Let's just keep riding this wave because we had uh, it was a lot of fun this past week. We'll talk soon. Yeah, you got it, David. Enjoyed it.